You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. I'm Fletcher from mindforlanguage.com, and you're listening to Greeking Out, a podcast for ancient and Koine Greek learners full of tools, tips, and possibly tirades on learning Greek using comprehension-based methods. If that isn't familiar to you, check out episode zero, The Manifesto, for more info. In this episode, I talked with Michael Halcom, a Greek professor, pastor, podcaster, and one of the founders of Glossa House. This was a great conversation, especially if you're learning Greek in a class or program that doesn't use communicative-based methods. Michael shares how he incorporated more natural and communicative methods into the courses he took when he was first learning Greek. Michael has also been a voice for communicative-based teaching and resources for a while, so listen in. There's good stuff here. All right, let's jump in. Hi, Michael. Aloha. Thank you for agreeing to do the interview. I really appreciate it. And uh, I know we're all looking forward to hearing more of your story of how you got into doing Greek. Um, sure. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for the invitation to chat. I appreciate it. I know we hadn't really ever uh, dialogued before today, but that's all right. I'm glad to be meeting you and getting to know you. Yeah. And again, I, I, I've enjoyed doing these interviews. I've gotten to meet some cool people and, um, uh, you know, I think it's like I've said in other episodes, I think it's really valuable for, you know, beginners to see, OK, how did people who are really good at Greek or, you know, or can speak well and produce good resources and teach? How, how did they get from zero to where they are? Right, um, right. And then I think especially for, you know, people who are kind of stuck in that intermediate plateau or, you know, maybe they've done. For example, they've done like biblical Greek or they've done like Anabasis in a classical program. How do they get from that to reading more broadly in the literature? So, um, I think, yeah, anyway, I, I saw uh, you had interviewed one of the folks you had interviewed was Seamus McDonald, a good guy. Uh, yeah. I haven't talked with him in a while, but uh, he used to do some courses with me at Conversational Quine Institute. Super, super bright guy, super sharp, and it's yeah. uh. It's been cool to see some of the neat things that he's been up to in uh, recent years. So, um, yeah, yeah. Good on you for uh, doing the podcast and taking an interest in this sort of thing. I think it's I think it's important as well. So, yeah. So let me ask. So how did you get interested in learning Greek? Yeah, um, I'll say that I uh, when I was first got introduced to greek i wasn't interested like i had didn't have much interest uh it was kind of a thing where my hand was forced right because i was uh doing um a master's degree where it was required and uh so that that was really my introduction to it and the way that that started that's when um way back in the day when online teaching uh the asynchronous stuff had just become a thing and mm. um asbury seminary was branching out into that and it was very clunky to do online but it was like the next step from the old correspondence courses where they would like mail you audio cassettes and you know you would listen to those on your own and read a book 
and then mail your research papers back in, you know. So this was really the first instantiation of online teaching. And yeah, again, it was super clunky. And so uh, there I was, I had my grammar book and every now and then I could type like a chat message to my professor. Um, but it was basically me learning Greek from a grammar book on my own. And the grammar book was actually really good. It was David Allen Black's uh, oh. Greek grammar. And um, I love Dave. He's a, a good Hawaii connection. He's from Hawaii and same island, Oahu, where I live. And um, really. Yeah, he's a Hawaii guy. Um, grew up surfing, and um, yeah. So sometimes when he comes back, we'll meet up for lunch or whatever. But um, so that's where I started. Was that was my first introduction to Greek. I I had never done a, a second of Greek, and uh, I got the grammar book dropped on me, and it was that asynchronous online thing, and um. As as wonderful as Dave's book is, I still I still think it's one of the top grammars out there. Uh, boy, was it hard to really get into Greek. I mean, it was I was riding in the front of the struggle bus, right? I was really <laughs> really having trouble getting into Greek. Um, and in growing up in the United States, I never I mean we had English classes and stuff, but I can't even remember like a proper like grammar course yeah growing up or like a syntax course or like a linguistics course i took french and spanish in high school but uh, i loved french mainly because the teacher spanish i didn't do so well but I, I i still to this day can't recall doing like a proper english english class right well, so yeah yeah i drive my wife crazy all the time because you know she's teaching her we, we homeschool our girls and she's teaching them uh you know sentence diagramming and it's yeah. you know it's the stuff i had in school which i hated and made no sense to me and then i get to you know get to college and we start you know take a linguistic syntax class and we have directed graphs with you know lines and labels and mm -hmm. you don't have to figure out is it supposed to be an angle line with two little feet or you know whatever right. arcane symbol american high schools use for sentence diagramming so i'm like yeah this is stupid just do it the other way anyway yeah you know i never i i had never even heard of sentence diagramming until i got to seminary i'd never seen it or heard of it um so i i kind of am jealous of people who get that sort of training in high school and already like you know i've, I've been uh, my, my kids like i have three kids like they're in sixth and seventh grade i already know what participles are and uh you know, like I'd never heard of that term until I I got to seminary. So my language training was non-existent. Mm. Um, and so after that first semester, second semester struggle with Greek, you know, I just thought I I just am no good at language, right? I just suck at languages. And um this maybe just isn't for me. And then as part of that same degree program. I did have an on-campus class doing Hebrew one and two. Whew, that didn't uh, seem seem to make a, that big of a difference from doing it on my own. So um, it was really slogging through uh, Greek and Hebrew there during that uh, master's degree. It was super challenging. Yeah. So that's how it, I'm interested. 
So it sounds like you started off in the traditional grammar translation, like a lot of people who are attending right. universities yeah. or um, you know, seminaries. Um, I, actually, when I was my last episode, I talked with uh, uh, Jenny and Rogelio from Triodos Trivium, mm-hmm. and they had the same things, grammar translation in university. Um, so what what got you from that to more communicative you know, teaching? And um, did you sure. ever have a class like that, or did you just sort of find your own way to start teaching that way? Yeah, great question. So when I was doing that Greek course, you know, my say the saving grace was that um, I had a recorder, like a little voice recorder. And back in the day, you could buy one of those at like, uh, oh, what was the little Radio Shack is what it was called. I think Radio Shacks are gone now, right? Oh, yeah. um, and so I had this little voice recorder and what I started doing was reading portions of the vocabulary sections in that grammar out loud and then listening to them back. So I I would listen to myself back, right? And then throughout the grammar, there's also sentences. So I'd read those out loud and then listen to them back. I'd go on a walk or a run and be listening to that back all the time, trying to get the audio input, you know, the verbal input, just like you would in a real language uh when somebody's talking to you and that that was the saving grace for me um was the ability to record and just listen to that back and try my best to simulate a a one-sided conversation really um and so time went by i didn't really keep up with a lot of greek i uh took a year off between that master's degree and my phd program and um, when I went back to the PhD program, like Asbury's PhD program is uh, super language heavy. Mm. So in your first year, you're going to be working with six, maybe seven languages, and you have to show proficiency or you're out, right? So in your first semester, like I was a New Testament student and a, a, a biblical studies PhD with a focus on New Testament, right? So for me in my first semester, uh by the end of my first semester i had to uh pass um an advanced greek course so you have to do an advanced course in the language of your testament that you're focusing on so for me that was greek and then uh also by the end of that first semester you have to um have completed an intermediate course in the language of the testament that's not your focus so for me hebrew and then at the end of that first semester, you also have to pass your French competency French competency exam. Um, second semester, you have to take Aramaic one and pass that. And you also have to, um, at the end of that semester, pass your German competency exam. And um, of course, you're operating in English or whatever someone's native language is at the time, but you have to show proficiency proficiency of course in english as well so super language heavy that first year and it continues on the second year where you start to move more into your your testament of focus and working with that language but um so i knew going into that oh man i got a lot of language work ahead of me and uh so i managed to get through um that first semester and at the end of it, I think it was at the end of that first semester, I just decided um, 
I'm going to go to Israel. I had, I had heard about what Randall Booth was doing there, and I wanted to check that out because uh, if they're speaking it, well, that's what was really working for me in the Greek class was the audio input, right? The verbal input. So if there's people speaking it, I want to go to where I can get a bunch of verbal input. And um, so I, I went to one of the seminars in Jerusalem for a month uh, by myself, stayed there for a month and went through the courses and uh, started to have uh, a paradigm shift of sorts, realizing, you know, I don't suck at languages. I'm actually pretty good at them. Um it, it all has to do with the way the pedagogy, right? And um, so things started clicking for me. Um, was able to see guys like Ben Cantor and Jordash Kifiak and uh, others uh, where they were at at that time, and was just really encouraging Randy himself, um, Randall Booth, and uh, really just encouraged by that and thinking that's where I want to get. I want to. I want to try to move in that direction. And so uh, I came back after that and there was nothing. You know, once again, mm. I'm back in a situation, a scenario where it's just me, right? The, I had a community for three or four weeks, but now I have nothing, right? So um, I that's where I launched. It used to be called Conversational Point A Institute, and I ran that for about a decade. Um, and then life just got too busy uh, as I couldn't keep up with it. But what that allowed me to do was to create a pretty great online community where other people were practicing their speaking. So I started writing out lessons and developing my own curriculum. And uh, that curriculum largely was designed in a way that it, filled all the gaps or was trying to fill the gaps that I experienced in my um, grammar translation approach, as well as the gaps that were still remaining once I came back from Israel. I did a couple more of the the booth seminars in, in Fresno, um, and that allowed me to still continue to refine my own curriculum where there were still gaps in my learning and uh, where I thought, well, there might be some pedagogical needs uh, that need to be met uh, that I wasn't getting from that. And so um, so that's, that's you talked about the intermediate plateau, what helped me get over that. Certainly going and participating in those communities, but really, uh, for me, a lot of the growth happened in teaching and trying to teach. Mm. I think for a lot of anything in life, right? Once you have to teach something, yep. uh, that's where the real growth starts to happen. And so that's what allowed me to begin to level up, as it were. Yeah, I I know this is probably really bad linguistics, but I'll, I'll tell students or, you know, people I talk to, like, you know, the Hebrew Lamad versus Limaid, the, you know, Kal versus PL stem, and like, one is learn, yep. one is teach, and that to teach is just to learn intensively. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Again, it's probably terrible linguistics and probably <laughs> is the etymological fallacy or something to that extent. But uh, it's uh, anyway, it makes a point. Yeah. Well, no, I I mean, I, I agree with the, the heart of that, right? The sentiment of that. Yeah. Like learning or teaching is intensive learning. It's a great way to put it. Um, and we never stop. We never stop learning. So 
you know, or we, we shouldn't stop learning. Yeah. Uh, so keeping up with all that's been really important. And um, it was really, a, really a fun time in my life uh, to be running that institute and um, meeting, you know, being able to help train missionaries um, and business people and pastors and students uh, who would go on to be some become professors and just meet people all over the planet that that shared this love for the Greek language and um, passion for it. So, so let me throw a curveball at you. If you could start yeah. over, like knowing what you know, you know, erase your Greek competency, but knowing about techniques and methods, if you had to start over from zero, what would you do differently today? How would you yeah. start? How would you start from scratch? If I had to start over as a Greek learner, like, yeah, yeah, yeah as a student, um, I think what I would do is strive to find a community that is interested in knowing the language and using the language and not just knowing about the language. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I think, um, back when I started that, that didn't exist so much and it, that's only recently become a thing. So you mentioned, um, uh, it was Jenny and Rogelio. I, I don't mm -hmm. know those folks, but I know they're doing some good work. I, yeah. Um, you see communities like that popping up. And then of course, Booth's got his thing popping up and Jordash got his thing popping up. And uh, I had my thing going for a long time. And um, I have different community where I have different places where that pops up now, like that I get to teach it in a university setting. Um, and I've been doing that for almost a decade now, but uh, I would say number one priority would be, to find yourself a community that you can plug into that is actively using the language. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really, uh, I very strongly agree with that. Um, I think not only just for the chance to practice, but also just motivation. Like it's, exactly. it's easy to get discouraged when it's a lot of work or like, man, I just opened a text and I don't understand anything. Like, makes you want to quit but then knowing that there's people out there who are thinking about it and you know might be able to give you advice or help you and stuff or, or at least are struggling alongside you like i think that's really motivating um it can help you keep yeah. going and you know another thing like um just realizing that if you're finding if you're if you're in a situation like a bible college or seminary university where you, the approach is the grammar translation approach and you're struggling through that realize that it's probably not you <laughs> yeah. um it, it's the pedagogy right so nobody i have nobody to tell me that like i thought i was bad at languages turns out i'm not like i'm pretty good at languages and uh once that that clicked for me everything changed so you know realizing um that the pedagogy is super important and uh that we're all in some way wired to to use languages and learn languages and um uh, that we all are in a way wired to be good at it and it just matters the community that we're in who's teaching us the the approach is being used and so you talk about motivation that just, that's what just made me think of that i i had nobody to motivate me and tell me no, Michael, like, I think you're pretty good at that or pretty good at this. 
you may be struggling to stick with it. You know, it's it's really just the approach. It's really just the way the professor's going about it. Like, but it, you're not the problem here, right? Um, yeah. So I would have given anything to have that at the start of you know the biblical learning the biblical languages or given anything for that well and as you're talking just sort of thinking about the story you've told um you took a grammar translation class and in a small way using your voice recording you transformed it into a more communicative class and so uh, i'm assuming that would actually be a good approach too for students who are stuck in a grammar yeah. translation method to think okay what can i do with my professor you know, maybe I can talk to the professor, or if not, like, what can I do with the books and things that I'm required to use to transform yeah. them into something more communicative? Or maybe there's another student that might be interested exactly. in working together. Yes, yes, yeah. I I uh, was just guest lecturing in uh, a Greek class last semester for another professor, and uh, one of the talking points was exactly that. What are some tips you would give to students, right? And my first one was record yourself and listen to that back as much as you can. And the second thing, if there are others get together in pairs or in small groups, mm. even if it's online once a week, an hour a week, and just practice trying to talk to, to each other. There's been this sort of maxim um, that's been floating around the communicative circles. Uh, it's, it's, I think it's Martin Luther or Augustine taken out of context and applied to language learning, but this idea of uh, uh, when it comes to language learning, sin boldly or language use sin boldly. I think it was Randy Booth who was uh, had who who said that often. Like in other words, just go for it. Like yeah. don't be afraid to mess up um, because it takes thousands and thousands of errors and mess ups to really truly get to proficiency in a language. Um, and so in my own Greek classes now, taught at seminary and university levels, uh, one of the things that I do, I don't give quizzes and I don't give exams. And right. it immediately takes the pressure off, right? Uh, because that's antithetical to language learning where you actually have to mess up to learn a language. So how am I going to count off when the point is to mess up so you can learn a language, right? And another thing that I do in terms of assignments is Every week I have my students record themselves going through all the new vocabulary that they're supposed to to learn and uploading that. So that's they use their phone and they just upload the audio file and I just listen to it. And um, that's how I'll grade it. Right. And um, then along the way, I have them do like screen recordings of them reading a passage like. And I'll watch as they follow along with their cursor as they read. And so moving more into audio visual stuff for their assignments as well. Uh, and that helps bake that uh, speaking and listening in, uh, even if they don't have classmates that they're practicing with. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I listened to you. Uh, I think you had a podcast episode of yours a couple of days or a week or two ago where you talked about about that, like not giving quizzes and exams. And mm. I, I think it's great because it takes that, like we have that emotional, like effective filter yeah. or whatever, and it takes the stress out. So it's like people can relax and just let their brains like soak yes. in language and acquire it naturally. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I I love that. And the students love it. <laughs> they're grateful that, that there are no quizzes and no exams and people might 
you know, be listening and think, well, doesn't uh, doesn't that like allow them to slack off? I've found the exact opposite to be true, that they take a greater interest in the language and uh, they get their work in on time. And I haven't had any issues with that, you know. Um, well, and at least with my understanding of how human language acquisition works, if you're giving a quiz and or an exam and grading it, you're not actually grading their proficiency in the language. You're grading their ability to know things about the language. Yes. To some extent. So, yes. you know, unless it's like I think you mentioned in your podcast, like unless it's a sit down and have a conversation with me for 10 minutes kind of exam. Yeah. Then, and, and that's different. That's more of a activity than a traditional quiz, right? So I mean, unless it's that, you're not actually grading language learning anyway. Right. In my Greek 2 and Greek 3 classes that I've taught, uh, I have at the end, uh, but not in Greek 1, I have at the end of those had an exam. And it's it's um, the students have a choice. They can either sit down with me for five to ten minutes and we'll we'll like have a story or something and we'll just go through it and I'll, I'll, I'll have them read it and I'll ask them questions about it in Greek and they got to respond in Greek. Or I have like a four or five page written exam and they can take the written exam. It's all in Greek. There's no English involved. So, um, and believe it or not, I've had a few students opt for the Greek written exam and take it, uh, just cause they're more comfortable with that sort of thing. But, um, you know, it's 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 fun. Uh, I I think even with with those exams, there's not really really a lot of edge, you know, and a lot of stress going into them because they're well prepared and they know what to largely expect. Well, and I forget who I was reading or listening to talking about this, but like even in that case, you're you've turned your exam into an opportunity for communication, and it's all in Greek, so it's still in a sense it's still input. Um, right even in the form of an you know an exam or a quiz so that's um yeah it's keep keeping yeah. it in the language yeah it's um it's been uh, i'm fortunate that i've had the opportunity every place i've i've been able to teach to do that i know a lot of my greek professor friends um they don't have the ability to do that they don't even have much say over what textbook Hmm. gets used right and it's super unfortunate it's kind of one of these situations where um a committee above the committee who is really sort of hands-off gets to decide what the curriculum looks like even down to the textbook and down to the pedagogy and they're these professors are fighting an uphill battle um even down to pronunciation what kind of pronunciation has has to be used and i think i would I would really have a lot of trouble being in a situation yes. like that. I, I wouldn't, I don't think I would exist too long. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's frustrating to think, you know, I have all these colleagues who, who could be doing such creative things and uh, that in turn would raise the enrollment in Greek, which in turn would help the institution financially. But, the institutions so institutionalized that they've been doing it this way for this yeah. long, this pronunciation, this book, this curriculum that uh, they can't see past it. You know, it's, it's, I feel for those folks. I feel for them. Yeah. So um, what are you doing? I think I can probably guess the answer to this, but 
what do you do now to keep improving? Uh, yeah. Oh, that's that's a wonderful question. Um, I get asked that a lot. Uh, so I teach still. Um, so that that's one way. Again, teaching is learning, right? Yep. Um, and I'm always. Uh, it's fun when I have students correct me or uh, pick up on a place where I messed up. And you know, I I don't have these aspirations to be like a purist or a perfectionist. Again, because errors that's all part of it. I've been speaking my native English for 42 years and I mess up all day. I've messed up a bunch during this conversation. Right. Um, but teaching is, uh, is one way that I do that. And constantly when I have a Greek class coming up, revamping my curriculum. Hmm. So, and my curriculum is all in Greek. So constantly going back to that and editing it and revising it. So that's another thing, but I'm a full-time pastor and um, so every week I have the luxury of preaching from a text, right? And that means I get to spend 20 to 25 to 30 hours a week, however long it takes to work with a text. Um, I get to spend that amount of time dealing with Greek and Greek words and Greek concepts or Hebrew words and Hebrew concepts. And um, I translate so in our church services on Sunday, if you were to visit, we put the text up on the screen and we have a little app we use. And um, the translation there is my translation, which is which is really fun um, that, you know, and what I found is that in doing that over the long haul, it, it nurtures uh, this kind of climate or atmosphere or community where people are suddenly intrigued well, your translation, Pastor, looks really different than the NIV or ESV that I'm reading. Why is that? Right? So they start to ask these questions. What's the Greek say here? Which is like the greatest thing when you have just, you know, regular old Johnny or Susie or Betty come up and they want to know about the Greek and what's going on there. And so translating is another way. Um, also, you know, working on commentaries and uh, right now and other projects um so i guess there's a, a lot of a multitude of ways that i'm able to to keep up with greek i'm super intentional about it though um i could just use an niv to preach from but i'm very intentional about uh working with the greek and offering a good translation and um yeah so writing teaching uh, translating, preaching, um, and revamping editing curriculum is about five or six ways that that I really I'm dealing with Greek every day. There's not a really a day that goes by where I'm I'm not into a Greek text or when I'm preaching through an Old Testament passage Hebrew. And so, like you know, that situation is not going to be attainable for a lot of people, you know, the people who are, have other jobs and things, but that I think they can take a principle of that is like, okay, if you could, you know, if you're going to read the Bible or, you know, if you want to read Homer or whatever, try to read it in, in Greek, right. You know, try to mm -hmm. write, write notes to yourself in Greek or, you know, mm -hmm. do as much as you can of your life and your work in, in Greek as you can. Uh, that's yes. essentially what you're, what you're saying. If I could summarize. Yeah. I've just, um short of having a community or surrounding me to immerse myself in it i just find other ways to immerse myself in it right um yeah. 
and it, it it just takes being intentional like that that's really what it boils down to the sort of motivation theory and intentionality and um yeah i it's it's a part of my life i love the languages and super intentional about staying embedded in them and getting them embedded in me um yeah so let me let me hit you with one more uh i think probably have two more questions but what what are your favorite what are your favorite tools or resources for greek at the moment maybe like your top yeah yeah so um i've been for the last 20 years a hardcore bible works user and i don't know if a lot of your listeners will know about bible works but this old bible software and it went out of uh business i guess yeah for a decade a decade ago i don't know how long it's been but um every computer i've had since since i've had a computer i've had bible works on except this one that i'm using right now to talk to you it's the first computer i haven't installed bible works on and that's uh I, i've switched over to stepbible.org okay uh, and uh so that's my number one go-to resource uh when i'm working with the languages these days or doing anything uh with the text of scripture or other ancient texts right so uh stepbible.org it's it's free uh it's wonderful and hopefully um I've been talking with Dave Instone Brewer, who's launched that project, and um, uh, Mark Cannon, who used to work for BibleWorks, is now working with them. And um, uh, there's been some discussion about possibilities of some things I can do to to help uh, help them in the future to to make that um, program a little better. But I'd highly recommend that uh, to everyone. When I'm working with um, because I'm doing commentary writing. Like right now, I'm preaching through the Gospel of Mark and working on a commentary on the Gospel of Mark. Um, essentially, every episode or passage in Mark's Gospel is going to have multiple links back to the Old Testament. And so I find myself working still with Hebrew a lot. Um, and a- another resource that I often check out is also created by David Instone Brewer. Uh, it's called Two Letter Lookup, and so I'd highly recommend that to your listeners as well. Um, it's really uh, you you can use that for Greek and Hebrew. I think even Latin maybe. Um, essentially, you can go in and start typing like the first two letters of any Greek or Hebrew root, and then boom, like it populates uh, all the possible vocabulary and gives you the lexical information for that so that does sound nice. yeah um stepbible.org two letter lookup i think it's dot com um and i guess the third thing i would say is just glosa house resources uh so i started glosa house with fred long about uh fred's a professor at asbury seminary um about 11 12 years ago and we are constantly putting out new biblical language resources um print audio video and we are on the cusp and i guess this is maybe one of the first places this has been shared on your podcast we're on the cusp of um of releasing our digital library which all our print works will be available in digital form so 
Mm. We're very excited about that. And um, that'll allow people in countries where shipping might be astronomical or, you know, they don't have the space to store physical books that'll allow a lot more access to people and those sorts of situations, missionaries, developing countries, developing nations um, to have access to our works. And so, yeah, the, the Glossow stuff, um, the, the Prove Text podcast that I run uh, is also another way that I keep up with my language stuff. And I would highly recommend that, not just because I'm running that, but because it's very language oriented. Um, yeah. We we have and it's all free. So we have like a Greek vocabulary short episode every week. We have now a Hebrew vocabulary. We have um, an episode every week or every other week where Fred and I are working just verse by verse through Galatians, looking super close at the Greek. That's all free. Fred has a Sunday episode called Greek Matters where he's looking at a Greek text uh, up close and and explaining what he sees going on. Um, I have a Greek reading uh, that I do every week. And so all of that is free and just a way to just a few minutes a day keep up with your language um, learning. Yeah. So those are maybe my top two, three or four, I guess. I, I like that. I've I've seen, I follow your podcast and I've seen like the one on Greek roots and things and they're like three to five minutes maybe for a lot of these yeah. episodes. And I like that because I, when I think about building habits for lang- like for working in Greek or Hebrew or whatever, like I think you could, you have like, okay, this is the bare minimum I want to do. Like I've got three minutes. Yeah. I'll count this as my, my work for the day. And, you know, yeah. okay. You know, maybe, maybe my goal is I want to read a chapter or I read 15 minutes. Like, well, I can't do that. At least I've got three I can flip through podcast, or, you know, I can listen to a podcast or flip through, you know, I use Anki for flashcards and like yeah. you actually record myself saying the word so that when I see the card, I hear the audio yeah. too. And excellent. So I think having quick resources is great. Uh, just something you can do in a few spare minutes. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah, those are the, the resources. And so that, that brings me to my last question, which you kind of st- started to answer. So, so where can people find you and what are you working on that you're most excited about at the moment? Yeah, um, people can find me on all the typical social media platforms. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm more active in terms of like posting on there, although I don't post a lot these days. Um, I've kind of become a little bit jaded by social uh, social media and become more of like um uh, an observer than a, mm-hmm. a full-on participant these days but i still do post from time to time on on facebook i'm on twitter um uh, and i have a youtube i have my own youtube channel but most of that stuff is just tagged from the podcast the proof text podcast um I'm very active with the podcast so uh, if you do like at Glosa House for any of the platforms, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they even started a TikTok now and they're posting stuff on there, which is hilarious to me because I would never use TikTok uh, on my own. <laughs> um, <laughs> so maybe I'm missing something there, but, you know, I have a personal Twitter. I haven't posted on there in years. 
I have a photography Twitter or photography Instagram called Aloha Outsider. Uh, I'm not, I got a lot of beautiful pictures I posted on there, but not active, mostly active with the podcasts and Glow's House stuff. But you can find me all over the place or just michaelhalcom.com. Go there and yep. you see all, all the links to uh, my personal socials or glosahouse.com and uh, the Glow's House socials, which I, I, I do a lot of engaging in those. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll put links to those various things in the, um, you know, in the episode description. Yeah. And, uh, so people can find you. Yeah. So work. I, your other question, uh, working on, I, I just mentioned, yeah, I'm working on a, a commentary on Mark. I have the first draft of a commentary on revelation done and it's sitting. I'm just letting it sort of simmer before mm-hmm. I return to it. It's been about a year and a half, I guess. Uh, maybe, maybe close to two. My, Commentary in First Corinthians just came out with Seabed, which is exciting. I'm glad to see 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 that see the light of day. Um, I have a Greek curriculum that I'm just slow, slow, slow editing, slow re- revamping and working on, and hope to roll that out. Um, I just just uh, a new book came out that I have an essay in titled Biblical Sexuality, and um, so I just finished working on that and uh, also uh, editing a few things. So, yeah, uh, lot, lots of stuff coming down the pipeline, never not writing something, never not working on something. And um, the podcast takes a lot of my time, you yeah, know, I'm... producing, you know, recording the episode, then doing the editing, then the descriptions and the posting and. Whew, it's a lot of work, man. So yes, you know yes, that goes into a podcast. But um yeah, so yes, exciting stuff. And uh just met with someone yesterday. Um and I can't say much about this because I don't know exactly where it's gonna go, but um in discussion about the development of a new app, and I got to play around with the app and it's amazing where it's at right now uh, for Coine that is quite like Duolingo. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, I, I'll have some role in this. And my dream would be that this would, would make its way out under the umbrella of Glossa House, but I don't know. We'll see. Um, but that, that's been really, that's been super exciting to, to see that and uh, the thoughts of potentially having input and, you know, a part on that. I don't know where that's going to go, but hmm. uh, that's something else that's in the works. We'll see. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and chat and it sounds like you're into a, have a lot on your plate. And uh, so, yeah, thank you very much for taking the time. Yeah. It's nice meeting you, Fletcher. Uh, I, I hope it's been helpful to a listener or two out there and I'm grateful for the invite and the opportunity to, to share some of my own story and my own learning journey. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. All right. Take care. Aloha. Intro and outro music is Funky Thanksgiving by Admiral Bob. Used with gratitude under Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license. Track can be found at dig.ccmixer.org.
Interested in growing your ancient language skills but not sure where to start? Glosa House can help. From illustrated readers and short stories to lexicons and grammars, Glosa House offers a variety of resources for beginning, intermediate, and experienced ancient language learners. Head to glosahouse.com today. Glosa House, language resources for the global community.